0: Well, beloved, remain standing and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 and then verse 18 through the end of the chapter. And before we read from God's precious word, let's ask his blessing upon us. Now, gracious Father, we We come to ask for your blessing. We come to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our prophet, to come and teach us the word. To bring the word not just to our ears, but into our hearts, where we truly hear and receive and accept and rest in the gospel, the truth of our salvation in Christ we pray, Father, that you would come and minister to us, Lord. Help us to understand the need to be fruitful. Help us to understand, Lord, the priority of fruitfulness for every Christian believer. Help us in our own day to, to, to not be guilty of hypocrisy or, or even blind zeal. But Lord, we pray for sincerity. We pray for a genuineness. We pray, oh Lord, for authenticity when it comes to believing in Christ. Lord, we don't want anyone under the sound of this preaching this morning to be found lacking or wanting. But that all may go in, embrace Christ, and be found with that reward of everlasting life. That is to all those by grace and your mercy. So, Father, do bless now the reading and the preaching of your word to the saving of your elect and the building up of the body of Christ in this place, Lord, in this body. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, beloved, hear the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 3 And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred and some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear, and now verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart and this is the one on whom the seed was sown by the road on the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no firm root in himself but is only temporary And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who bear uh, hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated, beloved, without a doubt, there are many, many errors floating around. Christian circles and I don't say that for a fact I say that because it is true There is no greater error than the one that is promoted in many places that all one must do to have eternal life is to confess Jesus as Lord That's an old Arminian heresy, one that I had participated in when I was just a young man who did not know anything about Christianity, didn't know anything about the Bible, and certainly had never gone to church. I wasn't raised in church, and therefore I was not among those uh, those church members. However, growing up in the South, you mingle with Christians. And I heard time and time again all you need to do to go to heaven is to say you believe in Jesus. Well, who doesn't want that? And so I remember doing that many times. I said the Lord's Prayer and I said the sinner's Prayer multiple times until I came to a true and genuine understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. Now, I wish I could say that that died with my myself, but Lord, those things are still going strong. Those ideas are still going strong today. I just met someone recently who believed they were saved because they had the invitation card and the pastor's signature on it. And they kept it in their billfold because of uh, some level of assurance to them. Now, I feel for that person, I really do, because they're ignorant. They don't know any better, they haven't been taught better. And that's not, that's, that's not a mean statement. But we have succumbed in this nation to easy believism. Making it as easy as possible, easy as pie, to go to heaven. When everything in the Bible speaks contrary to that. In fact, our Lord Jesus taught us on the Sermon on the Mount that narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life, and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. It's not easy to be a Christian. And we must first come to grips with that. And we must understand, even from this text of Scripture, that there's only one among the soils that are the true, genuine believer, and that's the one that bears fruit. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. I've I've, I've gone all around it. Uh, I've taught several things in relationship to undergird it. But this morning, we're going to talk about the fruit. I have four heads of doctrine, four points to make with you this morning from the text. The first one we're going to speak to that I'm going to address is the source of the Christian's fruitfulness. The source of of the Christian's fruitfulness. Secondly, I'm gonna address the quality of Christian fruitfulness, the quality of the fruit. Thirdly, the abundance of the fruit. And then fourthly, the purpose of the fruit. So I'm gonna address the source, the quality, the abundance, and the purpose of the fruit this morning so that we would have a better understanding of what it is to be a fruitful Christian so that we won't be misguided, that we won't fall into hypocrisy thinking one thing or at least saying one thing and doing another without tremendous conviction, but that we would truly know what the scriptures require of us. And that's what matters. What matters, beloved, is what God thinks of us. Remember, we come to humble ourselves before the Word of God. We don't come to judge it. We come to be judged by it. And we come to cast ourselves to Christ and say, tell me what's in my heart. Show me. Show me who I am so that I may reckon with that reality and confess my sins and embrace Christ if needed and for saving purposes, or embrace Christ as needed for sanctification purposes. So, let's begin this morning addressing the source of Christian fruitfulness. Well, notice what Jesus says. In the text, it's a parable. It's the central idea that the preacher, in this case Christ, has been sowing the good seed. The source of this fruitfulness is the Lord Jesus Christ as the teacher. He's going around, he is preaching the kingdom of heaven. And he is sowing the gospel. He is sowing the good seed. And the text tells us that the seed fell on good soil. We have a good word, the good seed, and we have good soil. There are two aspects of this, of the source of a Christian's fruitfulness, or let me make it personal your fruitfulness. It's twofold. Number one, monergism. What is monergism? Monergism is the idea that God works alone in saving sinners. That is, there's nothing that that we do that manipulates, encourages, or solicits God to act in any way according to God or at least in saving us. It's all due to his good and perfect will. It pleased God to save you. It pleased God to save sinners. That's what the whole book of Ephesians is about. You can read that this afternoon. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 And verse 26, this first aspect of the source of fruitfulness comes from the work of God in the heart of the sinner. 25 and 26, and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols and all your idols, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Beloved, this is that, that, that initial source of life in your life. This is that initial renewal that takes place in you before you exhibit faith. This is what has to happen. God must come to you and he must give you a new heart. He must give you a new mind. He comes to give you He comes to give you a a new disposition, if you will, that is new eyes to see. What was it that separated the, the good soil from everyone else? Well, he hears the word and the text tells us he understands it. Where did that understanding come from? The Spirit of God is working in the heart in order to help him make those connections. You remember we talked about those connections last week. Go back and listen to that sermon. Able to make those vital connections so that a proper response can be had. That's what the Spirit of God does. In fact, look at another passage of Scripture. John chapter 3. This is Jesus uh, talking about the new birth with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. And, and I'm not going to read the whole text, but right there in verse um, 3, and Jesus answered him and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is referring to here is that work that we had just talked about in Ezekiel 36. That initial work of the Spirit coming into one's life and giving them a new heart, eyes to see and perceive, ears to hear and understand. This is called the new birth. Now, Nicodemus doesn't fully understand it. In verse 4, he says to Jesus, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus ends that little exchange right there by saying, listen, it's like the wind, which is what the literal word for spirit is, wind. It's like the wind. You don't necessarily see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You can tell the wind is blowing by the way the trees the trees sway, the, the leaves flutter. You can see the effects of the wind, just as you can tell the effects of the Spirit of God working in someone. There is a noticeable effect, and that's important to keep in mind. If there's not a noticeable effect, if we're not able to observe it, if we can't truly grasp it and understand it, well, then you've just destroyed assurance, and we don't want to do that. We want to see the effect of it. We want to recognize it. We want to be able to to put our minds on it, if you will, so that we can examine ourselves, so that we can grasp and hold on to those things, so we can have our assurance strengthened, So the first point of this source of fruitfulness, beloved, is the original source, which is God. God is the one who comes and he begins that work in the spirit of man. Now, there's a second part to this, and this is important. Without this, there can be no salvation, and that is synergism. Synergism is where two things comply together. Once we are born again, once the spirit works in your heart, then you begin to comply with the word of God. You begin to comply with what the spirit of God has written, which is the word of God. Remember, the word of God is what God breathed to us. Look at, um, let's look at uh, a text that I've been asked to look at several times. We'll do it now. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's make some connections there. We've got several passages to look at. Galatians chapter 5, and we see here this list. Of the fruit of the spirit, but we need to see it within its context. Verse twenty-two is the fruit of the spirit, but notice what Paul does, and look all the way back up to verse sixteen. Notice what Paul is doing. Now you know why he wrote Galatians. He's he's writing this strong epistle to rebuke these Christians who had embraced Christ by faith by grace. And now they had been persuaded by these false teachers to embrace a works-oriented salvation. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, you can't have both. Both are not going to work for you. To work out your salvation, or not to work out your salvation, but to work for your salvation is to leave grace and we don't want to do that. So notice what Paul says here. He says, but I say in verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, notice what he says. There's this, there is this, um, there's this compliment that's taking place. The Spirit of God is working in the believer against the deeds of the flesh, against the natural man, against those sinful desires. The Spirit is at work in the Christian and he's at war with sin in us. He goes on, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, another is key, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, that means there's there's more, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, so what does he say? He says, there are evidences, there are fruit. That is the the fallen man, our fallen nature, the, 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 the sinful principle in each of us is evident by fruit, bad fruit. And he just listed them. We see it, we notice, we recognize it. Now he goes to the Spirit. Now he's making a comparison. Just as the deeds of the flesh are evident in the believer, so is the work of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. Paul was clear here. He says, listen, he says that that the old man needs to be put to death in every believer. The only way the old man is put to death is that for the believer to walk according to the spirit he now has. That renewed life, that new life, that born again condition, that estate where his eyes have been opened, his ears are unplugged, his heart's been renewed. He now lives in accord with Christ. And he says these things are evident The fruit of the Spirit in us is so that we can comply with the Spirit and begin to put to death the deeds of the flesh, those sins, so that we now begin to walk greater in faith, that is, increase our knowledge so that we have stronger faith, increase our knowledge so that we can have more accurate repentance, now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. I'm jumping ahead here, but I want to make a point. My point is this. You older saints, those of you that have been Christians for a long time, your repentance should be more, more mature. It should be more accurate, and it should be more detailed than a new believer, a novice Because you have drank from the fountain of truth much longer. Your eyes have seen more. You've been been exposed to more truth, which means if you've been exposed to the truth of God's Word in a right fashion, you can't be exposed to the Word of God without you being exposed to God of the Word. Does that make sense? As you know and understand the Bible, so then you know how God then sees you. Philippians chapter two in verse 12. So then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice, this is the synergistic part of the the source of the fruit. Yes, you can't have our part without his part. You have to have God's original Uh, 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 work in you however when God works in us what's the evidence of that invisible work That then we begin complying to the sweetness of the word of God it becomes sweet to us where before the word was like thunder and lightning now it's like the, the sweet sound of a mother's voice you see the spirit of god comes into our mind comes into our minds it comes into our hearts and, and 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 gives us new life and then our first response to that is going to be to believe the gospel but now notice what he goes on to say not only is it god working in us and that we should work out or we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can see now once the new life takes place, once there is faith uh, expressed in Jesus Christ, now we have become, if you will, partners, partners in our sanctification that requires us to do things. That's the fruit that Jesus is speaking of here. In fact, let me, let's look at, now go back in Matthew. Let's just go back to, um, let's look at two places in Matthew, uh, chapter three. Let's see here. And here's my point in, in taking you to this text. What I want to show you is, beloved, there, there can be false professors. There can be those who, in blind zeal, have a relation, think they have a relationship with God because they have all the externals. But remember what I've said previous times and many times is that what we're talking about, the Holy Spirit coming into our lives doesn't come outwardly, comes inwardly. He changes who we are. He changes us at our core. Sometimes it's very, very, very drastic and very noticeable. In fact, um, I have uh, people I know who come to Christ in the darkest of situations. I mean, grievous sins and, and practices and be delivered, and and be delivered for decades. We're not talking about overnight. We're talking about there was such a power and movement of God in their hearts that they were able to make immediate change. And then I know some, genuine believers, I mean, fruitful believers, but that change happens very gradually you know baby steps um but there is a there is obvious evidence of walking with God and that increasing not even now let's look at the text John the Baptist is preaching in in uh Matthew chapter 3 and he is out baptizing, he's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And look at verse seven. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now that's an introduction. I mean, John knew them. They knew John. They were not compatible. John calls them hypocrites. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that from these stones God can raise up children to Abraham. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you can see the point here. You, the, 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 the idea that they're, they're not complying with the teaching of the word of God. That's how John knows that they're hypocrites. John knows the Word of God. He knows the Old Testament. In fact, uh, you know, if you want to say this is a a biblical concept and a biblical idea, you don't have to turn in there in your Bibles, but Psalm 1. What does Psalm 1 tell the believer? To be like a tree planted by the rivers of water for what purpose? To bear fruit, to be strong, to be nourished. That's the life of the Christian. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Well, let's turn over now to Matthew 7. We've already looked at the false teachers there where he talks about they are evident. But I want to address this this small parable of two foundations at verse 24 and following. Notice verse 24. And again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about compliance. We're talking about not grieving the holy spirit the holy spirit's coming to your life and now you do what you yield to him you you have died to self and you live you live unto Christ by the spirit of god that's taking the word of god and a making it work in your heart notice in verse 24 therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now that's what we're doing. That's what you're doing as a fruitful Christian. You are complying, you are working with, you are submitting to the Spirit of God in your life, and you are yielding yourself to the Word of God so that you are a wise person. He hears the word and acts on them. That action takes place because of the spirit working in their hearts. They understand it and therefore they exercise reason and they say, hey, I need to do this. This is good for me. This is what God requires of me. This is my duty. I love to do this. Now notice verse 25. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house And yet, it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. That's evidence. That's not to say that the believers don't stumble, they don't fall. The point is, what Jesus is saying is, the believer has dug a deep foundation for their lives. And they have rested their practice, their life, who they are, their character, upon that rock and they trust. They accept what the scriptures say about Christ. They rest in it. They trust in it. They believe in it. That They put their faith in that. And so they dig deep. This is your work. Dig deep and rest upon Christ so that when all of the challenges and temptations come in life, they don't just sweep you away. Because that's what's going to happen on judgment day. That final storm, if you will, of God's wrath in Christ judging the nations and casting those on his left into everlasting perdition. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be on that side. You want to dig deep. You want to dig down and you want to practice the word of God. You want to hear it and you want to act on it. You don't want to be lazy. Because that's what he goes on to say. This is a comparison. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man. One more text here and we'll move on. Jude, turn to Jude. We haven't looked at Jude in, I don't know, if we yeah we have in the past but let's look at it again Jude in verse 20 and I spent some time here to just demonstrate the the monergism and the synergism you do not help god save you god saves but when god saves and then we sweetly comply to that salvation And we yield to it, and then we begin a new life in Christ. Verse 20 But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. See, brothers and sisters, those are duties. Those are commandments. And that's what this fruit is. It's the the compliance to the commandments of God. Remember what Jesus said. The one who does hear my word and acts on them is a wise person. Secondly, let's talk about the quality of this fruitfulness. The quality of this fruitfulness, notice we have good seed And we have good soil. I think there is a connection here that can be made to the original creation when God made everything, it was very good. Now, if God made this physical world very good, do you think He is skimping on making you a new creation in Christ? Do you think He's going to do it halfway? I don't think so. I think it's safe to say that all the work that God puts his metaphorical hands to is a good work. And again, we've looked at Matthew 3. We talked about the, the ax laid at the tree, John 7, John 15. Let's turn there. Again, a passage we've looked at several times, but again, beloved, it's not just the, uh, that you are busy. God didn't save you to be busy. God saved you to be faithful. God saved you to be truthful. God saved you to be right where you are, right where he has you in the situation and circumstances and status of life. He wants you to be his man and his woman There. He didn't save you to, to, to quote, save the world. You don't have to do that. You just have to start where you are and be faithful with who you are. And this is what's important. As as John speaks to this in the parable of the the vine in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do Nothing, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice the implication here. As you comply, as you yield yourself, as you work with and you do not um um hamper or hinder the Holy Spirit. As you sweetly comply to his spiritual urges in your life, bringing into your life the word of God, guess what? God says, I'm going to answer your prayers. I'm going to bring about all manners of good things into your life. Why? Because that sweetly complies to my goodness to you. Here's what I mean by that. You say, well, pastor, I've been praying for a a Ferrari or I've been praying for a big mansion on a hill or I've been praying for a big old 50-acre bass lake. Not a bad idea, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is all those things that comply and comport and uh, adorn the, the gospel in your life patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, help me love this person. I'm struggling. I don't like them. Help me. I need help. Hey, listen, I'm not talking, we can start in households. We can start with marriages. Now, I think it was Thomas Watson, and as a pastor, you you get it, right? He says, um, you know, Uh, ministers spend all their time in the new courtships keeping them apart (laughs) after they're married he spends all his time keeping them together why why is that well because marriage is difficult two sinners make a bunch of promises to come and live together and love each other and guess what how often do we fail each other how often do they fail each other Right? The point being, beloved, he says, I'm even going to answer your prayers. I'm going to do these things. This is the quality of the fruit in your life is that that what the Holy Spirit is birthing in your life and bringing out in evidence is of quality, it's good, it's substantial. It's that very thing, beloved, that yields itself to eternal life. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I know we're going all over the scriptures. I hope that's beneficial to you and not a distraction. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of god is that which is good and acceptable and perfect that is the spirit of god working in you you bringing yourself to that revelation of god's words you reasoning with it it's not blind faith we as christians don't we do not believe in a leap of faith Everything we do is grounded and based upon the revelation of God's will in his word. We do not leap out into darkness. We trust in Christ because God said he can be trusted. Because God commands us to trust in Christ and God is good and he would never ask us to do anything that would bring, uh, that would be contrary to his goodness and he couldn't be God. we can prove what the will of god is and that which is good the will of god is good it's good in fact second corinthians 5 second corinthians 5 and verse 10 let's verse 9 and 10. Therefore, we, have, we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So what's the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is working in every believer the quality of goodness which is defined by the word of God, which is source from God because God is good. All of these things, this righteousness, this justice, this love, this peace, all of this flowing from our creator and recreator in Christ, our God, so that we are bearing the fruit and the qualities that he bears. That's what it means to be a child of God, to be made in his image, and brothers and sisters, quite frankly, it's a lot of people don't want to hear about roles and responsibilities in the Christian life because of another heresy that floats around the church. And that is this, this extreme hyper-grace movement, that it's all grace without any, any obligation to the Word of God whatsoever, that is false. I hope that you've been able to see that that doesn't hold water from the Word of God. That doesn't, that's not what the Word teaches. Grace comes into our lives to cause us to comply sweetly with the truth, the gospel, the Word of God. That's why David could say, oh, how I love thy Law. He was saying that from a heart of grace, a renewed heart. He wasn't scared of the law. His sins had been washed. His sins had been forgiven. He had been accepted by he had been accepted into beloved by faith. He knew he was in right standing with God. Yet he complied with the word and he says, Oh, how I love it. Why? Because grace has sweetly shown me that this is the way I can offer my thanksgiving and many other reasons and benefits to God. The quality of this fruit, beloved, that God is working in your life is good. It's good. Just as your heavenly Father is good, your Savior is a good Savior, the Holy Spirit is working in you. Goodness, the good seed and the good soil produces good fruit, Thirdly, that good fruit is abundant. It's abundant. Now, this is where we might want to, you may want to draw back from me, but I'm not going to let you. I'm going to hold on to you because I want all of you leaving here going, Lord, make me fruitful. Now, what I don't want to do is place upon you any false guilt. We're all different. Different stages of life, different personalities, different circumstances, different ages, different obligations and responsibilities. There's a whole number of ways that we are different from one another. Just as this church is different from the church right up the road and the church across the street and any other church in this country because it's made up of, well, you. And you're not there, but we're talking about the Christian life. Is a life of abundance when it comes to obedience, when it comes to fruitfulness. It's not just picking and choosing. It's 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 similar to this, and this is one of the better illustrations I know of. And then we'll we'll um, look at Scripture. It's like going to prison, and you're not going to prison. I hope, but if if You went to prison for a number of crimes that you were guilty of, and you come to Christ in prison. And you're going to spend a life sentence there. You're going to be very limited on what you're going to be able to do. Now, you can pray, and we all should pray, but you're going to be limited. You, you have you, your life choices have now limited you to the range that you have with the gospel, so to speak, and so therefore you're going to have to just be faithful where you are in that circumstance, and that's what God had called that person to. Age. Some people come to Christ late in life. I know recently I had a family member come to Christ literally days before their death. Not ideal. Certainly room for doubt. But, but I rest in God being a gracious and kind and merciful God and even willing to save at the last minute if it's his good pleasure. So it's not based upon that individual. It's based upon my thought and ideas of what Scripture says and tells me that God is. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is willing to save all who come to Him. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 20. This is the parable of the landowner. Are uh, the, the vineyard workers. He says for the verse one, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. And the evening came and the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those who hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them had also received a denarius. And when he received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us. You have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Denarius? Take what is yours and go. About, I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. It is not lawful for me to do what I wish with, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? And i just stop there. You get the point. The point is that God calls a lot of laborers in his vineyard." And some labor for a long time, and some labor under all kinds of serious conditions, hard conditions. You know, you remember when John Calvin had left Geneva, just a short history lesson, and he was being called back to Geneva, and and, and John Calvin in his I guess in the way that he was, which is a very sincere, very honest man, he, he, he tells the ones petitioning him to go back, he goes, I, I, I would rather die a thousand deaths than go back there. That place is awful. They don't like me, I don't like them. It's hard to minister there. I mean, they name their dogs after me. They throw rocks at me. When I walk down the street, it's just not a pleasant place to minister the gospel. I mean, he literally had to almost come to fist the cuffs at the Lord's table with the Libertines. But that's where God put him. Calvin got eternal life. He gets the same thing that that person got on the deathbed. The thief on the cross. Who said, remember me, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom. He didn't. He didn't have to fight those battles. Now, beloved, listen to me. You are wrestling with God's will in your life, and you're wrestling with what I need to do, where I am, whether my age, my circumstances, my income, all that. Here's the point. The point is your fruitfulness has to be based upon where you are right now with what you have. Are you being faithful with that? That's the question. If you are, then you're like the widow might. You're like the widow in her might. She did what was required. And God blessed her. Let's move on. Or right, let me read a portion from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 19, and paragraph seven. And this is the this is the paragraph that I've quoted several times already. And would that statement sweetly complies with, but in that, in that portion of the confession is talking about the law. And of course, they had to address and deal with antinomianism and legalism, and they had to address and deal with the, 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 the proper understanding of law and gospel. And here's what it says in this paragraph. It says, "Neither that is, law and grace are the forementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel. This is the Reformed theology now. The gospel is not contrary to the law, but do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully which the will will of God revealed in the law requires to be done. Grace makes you sweet about it. The gospel makes you conform with it. Oh, it doesn't, the the thunder and the lightning is gone in Christ. Christ, God thundered down his anger and wrath upon Jesus. He's taken that from us. We've received Christ by faith. I mean, look, one more passage here. Galatians 2. Galatians 2. And this is what Paul says. Now, Paul is having to deal with this, this, this controversy of law and gospel. And look what he says in verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what it means, beloved. And what's the purpose of you being a fruitful Christian? Last point, and I won't be able to cover all my some points, but look what's the purpose? Let me hit the main point. What's the purpose of you being a fruitful Christian? Well I just read it and Paul's confession here, the purpose of you being a fruitful Christian, brothers and sisters, is you the evidence your new life in Christ. That's it. It's not for you to work so hard. I'm going to be better than Jeff. I'm going to be better than Aubrey. I'm going to be better than everybody else. Oh, I want people to look at me. No, 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 no. I want to evidence my new life in Christ. The old man, Paul said, has died in Christ. I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. Therefore, from now on we recognize no one by the flesh. Even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's what the purpose of you bearing fruit is, my beloved brothers and sisters, is that you walk as a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old, what's the old things? Well, Paul goes on to say, hey, some of you were homosexuals. No more. Some of you were thieves. No more. Some of you were idolaters. Man, y'all went down to those temples and y'all worshiped Diana. You worshiped Zeus. You worshiped all these false gods. You participated in this the temple prostitution. Hey, no more. No more. We don't know you by that anymore. We know you now as so and so in Christ. Because just as a child is known by his deeds, so that a Christian is known by their fruit. That good fruit. And that abundant fruit. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life, isn't it? Don't you want this for yourself? The only thing stopping you, beloved, is just for you to just say, Lord, here I am. Do with me what you want. But remember this, beloved. Do not walk out of here all haughty and prideful. You look around, and you say, Well, I do way more than everybody else. You don't know what God has put in their lives. You don't know them. You don't know their temptations. You don't know their frustrations. You don't know what God is dealing with them on. You don't know where God has. You're not their judge. Paul says, Let God be your judge. But ask yourself the question, Lord: Am I even doing enough? Listen. As I prayed, we can be so critical of others, and and least of all, not critical of ourselves. Let's start with ourselves, and let's ask ourselves in prayer to God, Lord: How can I be fruitful? How can I how can I maintain and keep and, and, and foster Even a little bit more fruitfulness, even though, you know, I'm limited. But I want to be. I want to be. You might be surprised what door God opens up for you. Because that's the way God is. He's good. This fruit, beloved, is the evidence of eternal life. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. John says in the epistle of 1 John, he says, listen, if you love the Lord, if you are the disciples of Jesus Christ, you'll obey his commandments. I think we have much work to do on our part. God has certainly done a great work and continues to do a great work. And may he keep his promise to lead us to that everlasting life that we have, as Paul said, in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, do bless us with this truth. Seal it to our hearts. There are so many things we can say more about this. But Lord, we've said enough. It's enough to cause us to, Lord, look into our own hearts with your word. And uh, Lord, not to others, but to your word that we would judge ourselves rightly. Lord, as we come to this supper, as we come to take the supper, Lord, let us judge ourselves rightly. Let us, Lord, contend with ourselves and let us address anything, Lord, that's out of accord and unbecoming of a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would prepare us now to come and feast upon Christ, our Savior, to fellowship with him, commune with him. Lord, that we might have our faith and our hope and all of these graces strengthened in Christ that no longer we who live, but in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.